0: Well, hello leader. I'm Nancy Grunett with First Sign Employee Assistance Program. Welcome to our Leadership Inspired Podcast, where we help people be better at work. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. We had a little bit of technical difficulties and the first few seconds of our podcast got cut off. So let me introduce our speaker today. Our guest today is Elizabeth McCorby. Elizabeth is a licensed clinical social worker out of Hendersonville, North Carolina. And Elizabeth and her partner, Katie Below, have a workshop that's geared towards other therapists. And it's called Are You Doing It Wrong? And they talk about cultural competency. And I thought, wow, this is fabulous, fabulous stuff. Um, I think that could be applied to workplace leaders. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Where I see,
1: um, where I work primarily with LGBTQIA or my other minority, minoritized individuals, um, and then my other thing is, if that were not, <laughs> I um, own an equine-assisted psychotherapy practice um, where I use horses for wow. mental therapy, and that's a lot of fun.
0: Wow! and Now, see, I didn't know that about you. I live in Aiken, South Carolina. And it's kind of a lot of horse horse country. Yeah, yeah horse country, horse farms so wow that's very unique wonderful yeah Yeah, i love that so tell us about this training program
1: sure so that's my other 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 hat is that um over the last year or two i've really leaned into facilitating trainings for other therapists about how they can be more culturally competent when working with um the clients who are people of color um because i know When I was going through my grad program, we got, like, a paragraph of cultural competency. Like, if you're working with African American populations, they're like this, and you should do this. If you're working with Chinese Americans, they're like this, and do this. If you're working with Pacific Islanders, they're like this, do this. And um, that's not enough because people in different cultures are not a monolith. And um, therapy, the way we do it, is really westernized. It's very... Um, we have one way of doing it, and for other countries or other cultures, sitting in a room for 50 minutes and talking is, is not therapeutic, and that's not therapeutic for folks of different backgrounds. So I want to help therapists create an inclusive environment that also is um, aware of other people's cultures and the different needs that different people have, especially as it relates to different trauma.
0: What um- What is your definition of cultural competency? I mean, I'm just genuinely curious.
1: Sure, that's a good question because I've recently come across, um, and I cannot remember the person who coined this term. um, But if you look it up, you can find it. They called it cultural humility um, because the idea is that there's no, there's not really such thing as being completely culturally competent or completely culturally fluent in a culture that you, where you don't walk in their shoes. And so um, I say culturally competent because that's kind of the blanket term that everybody, especially therapists, understand. But I'm trying to figure out if I want to lean more into that cultural humility, the idea of being an ongoing lifelong learner of what it means to really deeply engage in, um, in somebody else's and how someone else's life was shaped by cultural influences that you're not familiar with.
0: So um, one of the reasons why that really struck me, the, the, the workshop that you're doing, is I think all of that can be applied to the workplace.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: These are things that all of us need to hear, but particularly workplace leaders need to hear. So tell us what you think about that. I know your application is in, uh, with therapists in the new mm-hmm. setting, but how do you think that can be overlaid in a workplace setting with workplace leaders?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think you're right that it's definitely applicable to workplace leaders because it's, when I think about the culture of an office even, and, um, and people's levels of comfort with their coworkers and with their supervisors, all of that is informed by the cultures that are, that happen in our larger society and what we've set up as acceptable and not acceptable. And, Um, your question makes me think of like workplace retention and what makes a sustainable environment for people to continue showing up for work because they feel supported and they feel validated and they feel honored in their work and they're connected to their bosses and they, they find value in the work that they do because they care about the environment and the people that they're working with. And I think all of that is related to the kind of environment you set up in your office. So if if you're able to create an environment that is supportive of all people regardless of you know race, sex, gender identification, all of that, all ableism, you know, all of that is aware of all those things, then you're able to create an environment where people want to come to work and want to show up and want to be productive and feel like their work is valued and like they are valued. And those are the workplaces that keep people.
0: Yes, oh my gosh, that's a brilliant, brilliant assessment. I love that pretty much. You know, as you're talking, all of this seems so, like it's just fitting so nicely, um, but on the other hand, I have so many kind of unanswered questions about how you go about making that happen, and and I'll tell you why, because I, I heard you say kind of like tongue-in-cheek when you were in school, and they were saying, you know, here's, Here's diversity, and if you have somebody who's Asian, you know, do this. They act like that, and respond by that. And I had to also tongue in cheek to myself, kind of laugh, saying, "Well, isn't that kind of stereotypical in itself?" You know. Mm -hmm. But then I thought, "Well, how are we supposed to learn?" You know, like if we if we grow up in our little towns and our little houses, and all values that we have is basically taught to us by our families, we don't know. I mean, so what kind of work do we have to do to to get there, to get to where it's um, a welcoming environment and um, all-inclusive.
1: Yeah, that's a big question. Um, And actually it wasn't very tongue-in-cheek because I literally remember reading that on the page, like (laughs) (laughs) this is how they do it, this is how they do it. Um, But the question about where to start is such a big one. Um, And
0: I think, because don't you? I mean, wouldn't you agree? Like, like we all have our biases, right? We oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's just human nature. But anyway, so yeah. So where where do you start? Where where does one start?
1: Yeah, I start. So of course, so I'm a person of colors. So I'm a black woman, and when I walk into a workplace or an office, I'm sometimes look, I'm, well, not sometimes, I'm all the time looking about who is not represented, who is not here. And, and um, if I'm part of that office or that work environment, what about the way that our office culture is, is preventing those people from being here? Okay. So I wanna know, where are the pieces that are missing and what do we need to shift in order to make it a more inclusive environment for those
0: people? Great place to start. So yeah. what's missing and why is it missing?
1: Yes. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not, and I, I've gotten some emails recently from folks who are wanting to diversify their workplace and we need more people of color. We need more, well, mostly people of color right now. And Diversity for diversity's sake is not enough because you can hire all the people of color you want, but if you can't keep them because your office environment is not supportive, that's not going to help you. Um, Exactly.
0: It doesn't fix the problem.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so figuring out why your work environment is not supportive of these things will help you not only support the employees that you already have, um, it'll support your future employees in retention. Because when I think about biases, like... um, the biases don't just hurt the marginalized people who are impacted, they also hurt the people who benefit. Like, you know, when I think of the culture who who are able-bodied and the culture who are in, in white bodies and have certain privileges that come with that, um, I think about how limited their worldview is if they're not willing to expand it. So these biases that we carry also hurt us. I'm not sure if I explained that well, but it's, it's not doing it for other people, it's also doing it for yourself.
0: Right, and if, if I kind of catching what you're saying and, I, and applying it, I can picture like, uh, in a workplace setting, everybody around uh, the table at a staff meeting mm-hmm. like, and you're trying to problem solve. And if you have everybody who has the same background experiences, you only have like three, you know, two thirds of the pie, but yeah. you have somebody who's missing who might be, you know, not Mm able-bodied, they have a whole different worldview. They have Mm -hmm. a different, you know, uh, experience of what's easy or not easy and way to, they problem solve. So you're missing their puzzle piece. Sure. When you come to your conclusion or your decision, it might not be full. Sure. As rich as it possibly could be. Yeah, and
1: depending on the office environment too, you might be missing a lot more than two-thirds of or a third of the pie, I mean, because if you're, if you've got the folks up top who are very much um, one cross section of people, and the, their work impacts a very diverse population of people, um, none of whom look like them, then you don't, you don't have any pie, <laughs> actually.
0: Good point. Like, yeah, who's your customer base? Yeah. Yeah, problem solved for a customer base that you're not quite connecting with. Mm-hmm. Very, very good point very good point. So two questions. One is how, the first one is how, if the true fix is to figure out what's missing, mm-hmm. how does one figure that out if you're a workplace leader? Sure. I think it starts with
1: um, personal inner work on yourself. first. That was going to be my second
0: question. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of work do we have to do as, as human beings, as, as leaders. Yeah. I interrupted you, sorry.
1: No, that's okay. You're, yeah, you're exactly right. I think it starts with yes. self-reflection, especially if you're a leader of this company that's not well-represented of the, of the population. Um, that means that it's going to take some, asking yourself some hard questions. Like, what about me? What about the way that I'm approaching these situations doesn't allow for the culture that I'm hoping for to, to thrive? Mm-hmm. Um, what, am, what am I doing? What is, what is missing in the way that I communicate with people? What do I need more of? What do I need less of? Can I take feedback? Have people offered me feedback and I've said, no, 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 that's not what's happening, um, even though I have no knowledge, actually, of what it's like to walk in that person's shoes. So really hard questions, asking yeah. yourself
0: really hard questions. Yeah. Would you also say maybe just, um, this is, an odd thought, but I'm going to put it out there, exposing yourself to more things, more people, more, in, you know, um, just going out into the world and beyond your social norms, behind, behind, beyond your regular routines, kind of wi- widening your horizons, if you will.
1: Yeah, so that's a for me that's a yes and, um, so I absolutely advocate for people getting out beyond their little bubbles um, and getting outside of the circles that they're in. And if you're going to interact with a community, especially a marginalized community, you really need to be mindful of what your presence what you're bringing into that community with your presence. Like if oh, it's not people at a zoo, you know, it's, you can't just go into a community and say like, I'm here to watch you to know what you're like. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. weird. And that's awkward. And there's a power differential in there because then, you know, they might not feel comfortable having you there. So interesting. yeah. Finding spaces where you've been invited and you're aware that your role is to to be quiet <laughs> and observe and listen and hear what people are saying rather than um, bringing your entire worldview into that puzzle and expecting it to fit right away because you're the one who's quote-unquote right.
0: Interesting. I love that very much. So, you know, what kind of responsibility do you think workplace leaders have in, in all of this? Um, hmm. When you say all good well well i see this almost as a larger issue i see this not only as you know how can you make your your workplace more inclusive but you know i, I think we all touch each other's lives and impact this this world mm-hmm. if you're a leader you know, you're a role model um, your actions get talked about at the dinner table at night yes. you know can you believe my boss did this or can yes. you that <laughs> Yeah, so you kind of are in a little high, not a higher in terms, well, I'm that too, I was going to say, like a, a more prominent stage, like people are, are watching you, but yeah, you do have more power too. You do have more authority too when you're a workplace leader. So that's a lot of responsibility, and um, so I'm just wondering, like, um, what might come with that responsibility or what you think about that?
1: Yeah, well, what popped up for me when you asked that question was just the idea, you know, in Western culture, we have this idea of perfectionism. um, And it's a cultural norm that's really widely accepted that if you do it, you have to be great at it, you have to be perfect at it. But when I think about a leader that I would really connect with, it's someone that doesn't necessarily have all the answers and is open to shifting their perspective and hearing what I have to say as someone who's impacted by them. And a leader, I think a leader for me is someone who demonstrates the ability to have humility and the ability to admit that they don't know all the, that they don't know everything. So when I hear someone say like you know, I'm in charge of this, or this is my role in this, and I want to make sure that I'm creating an inclusive environment, and I'm willing to own that. I don't know everything about this, and you all might even know more about this, these specific situations than I do, Um, but I want to be in it with you, and I don't want to control you, and I don't want to impose things on you that might not be in alignment, because when the people that are working under you don't trust you and don't believe in your mission and haven't connected with you, they're not going to do as good work. And maybe they shouldn't do as good work, you know? I mean, yeah, I am just thinking about what it – just building relationships is so important. Having an authentic relationship where both parties feel comfortable being authentic with one another its so
0: important. I love that. I, for whatever reason, while you were talking, I was picturing a sailboat. I don't know if you've ever been sailing. Mm-hmm. But, um, the thing with a sailboat, it's powered by wind, and so it can't just be plopped down in the water and, and sail straight. It's got to have its sail, and it's got to go a little bit this way, and then a little bit that way, and then a little bit this mm-hmm. way, a little bit that way, um, and eventually it's moving forward. And, you know, there's things that I know and I want to hear things that you know and I want to grow a little bit and, you know, and so we're constantly kind of having to just move forward with, with learning and growing, mm-hmm. not a straight line. Uh, at yeah, all.
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And then I, you know, there's a lot of work that, that I'm involved with lately that has to do with the ideas around sharing power. And what does it mean mm-hmm. for one person to be in power all the time over situations that they're not directly impacted by and what would it mean to open up perspectives to people who who do have that knowledge and would maybe better to connect with the community you're trying to serve and of course i don't know everybody's situation and some of them lend themselves to one person or one committee leadership but i wonder about if people were open to really hearing from the people at the the Um, The frontline folks who are really doing the direct care, direct work with people. um, What would that shift? What would that shift in terms of the services they're able to provide and the appropriateness of those services that they're providing and the quality and the appreciation in the community for those services being provided? Um, I mean, the folks on the ground probably, they're, they're your biggest asset
0: and they're sometimes
1: the most undervalued.
0: Yeah, the the collaborative kind of effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. There and there are some workplaces that are like that, but you know there, there there's also other more traditional structures um, that in pla- that are in place. Um, very, yeah. I, there's one particular workplace I'm thinking of that I think that is at the precipice of doing that kind of thing, and it's mm-hmm. exciting to see them full. Mm-hmm. So what's the um, What's the one thing that you want workplace leaders to, to know or to understand? What's the one thing that you want them to understand?
1: You know, I kind of touched on this earlier. Um, I said it really specifically earlier. Actually, the, just the part about being comfortable admitting that you don't know what you don't know, but you're willing to learn. That's yeah. a big one for me. Just the openness to learning what you don't know is such, I think it can be transformative. Yeah.
0: And and in my experience, too, sometimes workplace leaders are afraid Mm -hmm. not to show that because Mm -hmm. they think they have to know everything. They they think they have to be in charge. They have to have that aura of authority. And I can tell you, employees know when you're faking it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They do. They do. <laughs> They're not fooling anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so why not just say that? You know, why not just, why not just say, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? You know, mm-hmm. what everybody has to say. Um, yeah. I'll learn from this, you know. Yeah.
1: That's such a powerful question that I don't know. What do you think? I, I don't know. I want to learn more from your perspective. Please tell me what you think. And then actually being open to hearing. Because, you know, I can't tell you how many workplace environments I've been in that have, like, a suggestion box that is a you know a void to nowhere. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah. what would it mean if they yeah. actually had taken our feedback and and been honest about what it would take to to make that happen for me yeah. as an employee.
0: Yeah. At my estate. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very real story for you. Like you you, you were at a workplace one time that
1: oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thinking of one workplace and specifically. Um So I'm a therapist. I was working in an agency. And um, we had a suggestion box (laughs) to nowhere. Um, And we had monthly meetings where we discussed different issues that were coming up for our clients. And probably three or four times I put in that box that I wanted to make sure we talked about police brutality and how it impacted the clients that we were serving. Um, And never did. I was there for four years, never did get a training about that. And I didn't just put in a suggestion box. I'm pretty outspoken. Um, I told leadership and I mentioned it to coworkers. I mentioned it to people giving trainings that this is something that I wanted to make sure that we talked about. I was a therapist in a primarily white agency that served primarily people of color who are disproportionately impacted um, by racial trauma. And we never talked about racial trauma. And I think that our, I I know that our clients suffered for it, Um, but I remember asking and asking and asking and getting a lot of empty promises. Um, Of course, now they're doing some cultural competency work, um, but you can't wait until somebody has been murdered to do that.
0: I know, what I was gonna say, I was really struck by that you said this happened like four years ago, you were asking for this. To date, we're in the middle of all of this,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I don't even have words for it. I've, I personally have just been calling it civil unrest and, you know, racial injustice. I don't know what to call it because it's just mm-hmm. crazy. It's just mm-hmm. wild, wild, wild. Sure. I mean, um, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but are you in, in the work that you and Katie are doing? Are you impacting that, this at all in any way? Are we, I'm sorry, are, are we you, what? Are you, are you being um, asked, called on to comment, to help, to support, to consult, to do training? Oh, yeah, more than
1: ever, more really? than ever, which is, is uh, good. I'm glad that people are ready finally to have a conversation, and it's frustrating, you know, because I've, I've been advocating for this conversation for a long time. And so to have people reach out to me who I know I told two or three years ago that we needed to have this conversation and reach out to me today in a panic and say, you know, we really need to talk about this. Uh, yeah, I know we need to talk about this. I told you we needed to talk about this. Um, and now you want to talk about it um, on the backside of it. Uh, yeah. We're, you know, being reactive when we could have been proactive.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Wow.
0: What are you hearing? Like, what are you, as you, people are calling do they, what, are you, what are they asking for specifically? What are you hearing? What's your ear on the ground?
1: Yeah, I'm doing a lot of, of consultation right now. Um, people reaching out who want to know what their blind spots are when they're working with people of color, um, specifically therapists and agencies. Um, and so I'm able to help them have a conversation that opens their eyes to the ways that they might not be serving the population in the way that they think they are, how they might be doing harm, um, and how their, um, their intentions might not match their impact.
0: Ooh, interesting, how their yeah. intentions not, because what we were talking about earlier, they're, they they do not they have things that, that are missing, mm-hmm. and they don't know they're missing. Exactly. Yeah,
1: and you don't know what you don't know, so you don't know what your blind spots are often until you can, until they're pointed out to you. And if you're willing to receive it, then you can shift around that. And and one of the things that Katie and I talk about a lot, one of the biggest components is repair. Um, the assumption is that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. I'm an enable body, and so when I'm working. In a cisgendered able body, and so when I'm working with the trans identified population, or when I'm working with folks who have issues with mobility, I'm going to make mistakes because I don't live their their experience. Right. Um, So all I can do is continue to educate myself, and then when I make a mistake, say thank you for telling me, I'm sorry, and then file that in my memory as something that I will do my very very best not to do again, and move on. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. But that's not an excuse to. Not keep pursuing knowledge. Not keep
0: learning. Mm -hmm. Forward, like that sailboat. Exactly, (laughs)
1: exactly. And I try in the trainings, we try, or I'll speak for myself, um, working on removing the shame from making a mistake, because it's Mm -hmm. the shame that often prevents people from having the conversation in the first place. Like, I don't wanna be wrong or I don't wanna do harm, so I'm just not gonna say anything. When in fact, their silence is doing more harm than them saying the wrong thing ever could. Um, and so it's not, it doesn't have to be shameful to be wrong about something. I mean, being wrong is part of the human experience. We're going to be wrong. We all made mistakes. And we're all going to continue to make mistakes, but how are you going to recover from those mistakes and use that to inform your knowledge moving forward? It doesn't have to be a shameful thing. It's just, you right. know, say thank you. Thank you for telling me.
0: Right. What about... For, for me in this interview, the questions that I have for you, what what don't I know to ask you?
1: That's a good question. Let me chill on that for a second. Mm. I'm thinking about how... I'm not sure if this exactly answers your question, but I'm thinking about that. So the conversation is about workplace specifically. Um, But also so much of this has to happen outside of the workplace. Mm -hmm. So if you create an inclusive and diverse environment in your workplace and you're somehow able to do that without shifting anything in your own life and when you go home after work to your family who who might be white and able-bodied and your circles of friends who might be white and able-bodied in your community who is primarily made up of white and able-bodied folks um, there's some there might be some pieces missing there it's 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 incongruent so I think And again, I don't know if there's a specific question here that I would want you to ask, but just impressing upon people the the how how um, through and through this work needs to be like not just in your work environment, but especially because your your workplace, the people you're leading can't be your guinea pigs on this. You need to make probably make some shifts in your own life um, and. Do some work on yourself, and in your circles of friends, and in your community, and how you interact with them, so that you can bring that knowledge to the workplace, and be be familiar with it, and be well versed in it because you're living it in your life, and you're embodying it in your life.
0: Does that make sense? Wow, it Makes beautiful sense, it makes <laughs> wonderful sense. I mean, gosh, I almost want to have a moment of silence because that was so beautiful. Thank oh, thanks you for saying that. Yes. Yes. So can you share um, a story of some work maybe that you did with an agency or with an individual where, I mean, you really made a difference? You really saw big changes. Can you share a story with us? I know you, as a therapist, you have to protect confidentiality, so, right. you, or, you know, change it up as you see fit. But I'd love to, to hear how you've impacted um, an individual or agency.
1: Yeah. When you asked that question, I was thinking about an individual specifically um, and a, with whom I worked for about a year. And one session they came in and they were telling me about how all the things they wish they could do. Like, I wish I could do this. I wish I could go sing. I wish I could do more yoga. And, and I was like, you know, I said, what, what's stopping you? what's stopping you from doing that? And she took a moment and she reflected and she was like, you know, I don't know, like if I can't do it perfectly, then it's hard to do it. And it's hard to want to put myself out there and be embarrassed. And that kind of led to a conversation about, you know, A, what's, what's the worst that can happen if you're embarrassed? Do you get struck by lightning and burned to a crisp or... (laughs) do you move on, you know? And, and the second part was like, you know, do you have to do things perfectly for them to be, for them to be useful and nourishing for you? Like there's a quote that I wrote on my board on my board, actually, like, you don't, you don't have to be good at something for it to be good for you. Mm,
0: Um, That's a good one.
1: Yeah. And she came back the next session and was like, telling me like, like, overflowing with excitement about how she'd gone to this yoga class and she just like had felt so free and it was so meditative for her and it was so wonderful and it really shifted her perspective on so many things she's trying to implement it in her daily life and so much of that was just about thinking about like really thinking about like why can't I I mean why why can't you there you're the only one in your own way um and then removing the pressure from having to do things right so I think yeah I think that just like you are the only one stopping you <laughs> from doing yeah. anything um, in in a lot of situations not not all of them, but often we are our own barriers, but we don't have to be
0: right that's a beautiful story it's a beautiful story thanks it can apply to something. Small, like wanting to do yoga perfectly, or a huge, like wanting to, who knows what, you know, impact your community or your workplace, you know? It, um, I love that. Say that yeah. one more time.
1: Which, say what one more time?
0: The, the quote.
1: Yeah. Um, you don't have to be good at something for it to be good for you.
0: Uh, I am so, I'm going to write that down. Because <laughs> I need to hear that. Yeah. I have a that perfectionism mm-hmm. streak in myself
1: yeah and when you can release that when you can release the the responsibility of being perfect because that's that's not realistic <laughs> i mean nobody exactly.
0: exactly
1: when you can release yourself from that you can you can do
0: so many more things and yoga i keep going back to like that picture of the perfect yoga pose mm-hmm. with somebody doing something <laughs> like Whoa! Uh, that probably took them years to perfect and mm-hmm. if I try my very first time, I am gonna probably be fumbling and nowhere near that. And so, do I just give up? You know? Yeah, um, yeah. But in the in the effort, I'm. It's gonna be good for me. It's gonna be. Good. Yeah, and not only that, but the the pose is not the point. The
1: effort, <laughs> what gets you to the pose, is the point. Like you building your strength and being able. So even as you're imperfect at it, you are building, which I think is so beautiful. Like you yes. need to be. You have to, it's a requirement to be imperfect at it in order. Sorry,
0: I keep, I like it, all, all these different quotes I'm thinking. of. <laughs> and the more you keep at it, the more than you're building um, trust with yourself, that you oh, can do yeah. something, that you can stick to something, that you have some discipline, you know, some stick to itness, and you're willing to invest it in your personal um, growth mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. accepting that you don't have to be perfect. I mean, there's so much to that. There's a lot to that. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful story. I love that. Thanks. So um, at First Sun EAP, we have, like many businesses do, we have a tagline. And our tagline is, we help people be better at work. And so one of the things I love to ask of all the guests of the podcast is, what do you do? What's the one thing that you do or have you found over your career that helps you be better at work?
1: Mm-hmm. I love that question. Yeah. Um, What comes to me first is um, having a community of people around me helps me be better at work. Mm -hmm. I was working with a student recently who'd been having some challenges, and um, I have done a lot of work in myself to be able to admit that I don't know, I don't have every solution, and so I, that student was going through something, and I hung up the phone with them, or ended the video conference, or whatever I did. And I went outside, down the hall, to a coworker, and was like, "Hey, I'm having this situation. What are what are your thoughts on that?" And then I went down one more door and was like, "Hey, did you hear me talking next door? What do you think?" And to be able to hear their insights, then I was able to say, like, "Okay, this is useful to me. I have the support. Um, like my coworkers have been able to offer some solutions." And I know that they're there for me to continually consult with. And they've said, like, if you need anything else, let me know. And I know that they mean that. So I don't feel alone anymore in this problem. And I can do better work with this student as a result.
0: Oh, wonderful. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so very, very much for your time. You've been a delightful guest. Thanks. I truly hope we get a lot of people listening because there's so many gems and personal and life lessons, let alone leadership lessons in this discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Where um, where can people find out more about you and what you do and um, if they need to want to reach out for you for some counseling or some consulting or anything that you and Katie do together?
1: Sure. So, um, so for the training that you're referencing in the beginning, Katie and I actually have one coming up. Um, not this coming Friday, but next Friday, which is the twenty-sixth, from nine to noon. It's for people who are in help or mental health therapists or in other healing professions. But we'll make you know, we'll take it case by case if other people are in other professions. But it's for our training about how to do better work with clients who are people of color, and so that's coming up. And um, they can find that if they search for. So Katie's nonprofit is called A Therapist Like Me. And you can Google that or go to a um, And so you can find information about the training there. And then, for people that want to reach out to me or consult to me, uh, consult with me. Uh, my website is um, ElizabethMcCorvey.com, and I'll spell that. It's E L I Z A B E T H M C C O R V E Y.com, and they can find information about consulting with me. And they can also get a link to my Psychology Today page, which is where they can find out about having therapy
0: with me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so very much for being on the show. We appreciate it very, very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Well Hello Leader podcast. Now it's your turn to help someone else be better at work. Be sure to check out all of the services we offer employees along with coaching and training options for leaders. You'll find our website at firstsoneap.com. On social media, you can find First Son EAP on Facebook, follow First Son EAP on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like and subscribe to our First Son EAP YouTube channel. Take care and have a great day.